You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Let me launch us into a message with a verse that will be really familiar to some of you. Uh, it's, it's God speaking to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, where it says in verse 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past, but see that I am doing a new thing now. Now there's a full stop in that, but as I was reading this verse, which is really familiar to me and I've preached many times before, I felt the Spirit of God just kind of remove that full stop, as it were, in terms of this emphasis. See, I am doing a new thing now. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. We believe that although situations may seem impossible, we serve a God who is able to do something now. And although we pray for it now, we know we and we trust, like you've heard in Grace's story this morning, we trust in his faithfulness, not our timing. Because God has perfect timing, but it's not always perfect in our perspective. But we trust and we believe and we come with that ray sense of faith and expectancy that there is something new that he wants to do. And even though we can't possibly see sometimes how God could move, where it seems like a wasteland, we serve a God who's able to make a way where there seems to be no way. And so we come with that sense of faith and expectancy. Now, over the summer, we've had a number of Guests who've come to visit over the last few months, various international friends who've just come to visit uh, beautiful North Yorkshire. So we've had friends from Germany, friends from Australia, friends from America. And, and of course, you're doing the tourist thing. And tourists typically love old things, particularly tourists who come from nations that don't have such a rich history as we do here. You bring somebody over from Australia, and if you find something that's more than about 35 years old, they're like, Struth, mate, that's so old. And you're like... No. We once went to Australia and visited a cathedral in the, in the center of Melbourne, and a guy tried to give us a tour, which we weren't particularly interested in, but he came and said, well, let me tell you this. This is Melbourne's oldest building. This building was built for the glory of God in 1875. And I said, we're from England, mate. We've got cheese older than 1875. And so he just kind of drifted back a little bit. And then, but, but tourists love old things, love to celebrate some of the history that we've got here. And I'm, and I'm stunned every time, surprised uh, that it, this happens, of how blown away some of these tourists are by dry stone walls. They just love dry stone walls. Like, Struth, have you seen that over there? How old it is and how big? Why do you have so many? And we're like, I'm not sure. And, and, and the architecture of it and the beauty of it and the history of it. And you're like, well, we see it all of the time. And when you see something all the time, you kind of lose your perspective of it. You lose the grandeur of, of a Norman castle that's been there for 950 years, but you pass it on the bus every single day. So it doesn't seem significant to us. And we lose that perspective sometimes. And here's what I wanted to point out in this scripture before we move on, where it says, see, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Can you not get a vision of this? Can you not open your brain enough and open your heart enough to realize that God might be some, doing something new and different to the way that you expected? Yes, you might have seen him do great things in the past. Yes, you might have stories to tell of, of his faithfulness, revival stories of what he's done in your life or, or through a ministry that you were part of. But can you open up your heart and your mind to believe that there might be something more? 
that there might be something greater that God wants to do. He's doing something you do you not perceive it. Sometimes I think the reason that we can't perceive and therefore we can't receive the new thing that God is doing is because we're still too stuck on the former things. We are still dwelling on the past, and sometimes we dwell on the past of good things, great testimonies that God has done, incredible story that, that Grace has shared this morning, and I'm sure that's a testimony she will literally tell for years and years and years, but I would encourage you to believe that her story isn't finished yet. And so if we stay stuck in the past of something great that happened, or the former things is something bad that happened, a loss that we experienced, a diagnosis that wasn't good, a mistake that we made, a hurt that we went through. Sometimes we're so stuck on something that happened that we can't perceive the new thing that God wants to do. And that's why for this vision month, it's so important for us to, to realize that our purpose here in vision month is not just to perceive what God wants to do for a church, but God wants to do in you. What is it that new thing that God wants to reveal to you, that he wants to stir in you, that he wants to awaken in you? Because God doesn't want to just do things through us as a church, but us as individuals. That he sees you, that he has a plan for you, that God wants to do something new in, in, in your family in your place of business, in your classroom, in your office, in your army regiment, in your hospital, in your farm, in your building site, wherever it is that God has placed you, there's something new that he wants to do. And we have to be open to perceiving what it is that God wants to do in us. And you know, every time we gather in September as a vision month, our theme is in some way connected to our identity as a church. It reflects something of not just, well, here's a random thing that we'll do, but actually who are we called to be, that we are Influence church, that we're called to be a church, we're called to be people that make a difference in our world for the kingdom of God. And our identity as a church is always wrapped up in the words of Jesus, because what better place to root your identity and your calling than in the words of Jesus himself. So when Jesus steps up on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he speaks to a crowd. He doesn't speak to a corporate gathering. He's not speaking to a church. He's speaking to individual people like you and me. And he reaches out to the crowd and he says, you are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And remember, everybody's really familiar with this because there's no electricity, there's no central heating, there's no LED bulbs going on in their house at home. So they're like, yeah, we get it, Jesus. He said, you know, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl because it goes against the entire purpose of light for it to be hidden. He said, instead of hiding it, instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone. Now it's not just something personal that's for me. It's something that's caught. It's something that's designed to be effective for many people. It says instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. And then he comes with the, the application for us. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. And so our identity as a church, our calling is wrapped up in these words of Jesus that we are called not just to know the light. We're not just called even to know the effects of the light. We're called to be his light in our world. That we're called to be a reflection of the light and the love of Christ. Not to be hidden away, not to be shamed, not to be selfish and keep that to ourselves, but to be God's light in our world and to be the change to be the change for the kingdom of God in your family, in your army regiment, in your workplace, that you are called, you and I, to make a difference. And so this September, we're gathering everything that we do, all of our prayer meetings, all of our partners night, all of our services, all sorts of stuff around this theme that God placed on our heart 
that we're called not just to keep this to ourselves, but to do something with it. That you and I are called to to be the change, that we're called to to be the presence of God in our workplace, that we're called to to make a difference for the kingdom of God, not to be hidden, but to shine. We're not just called to be like everyone else. We're called to be the change, to take seriously the words that Jesus entrusted to us, the light that Jesus entrusted to us. But I know for some of you, as soon as we kind of preach messages like this, as soon as you hear things like, oh, I'm, I'm called to do something for God. God wants to use me to be a light. I, I carry the love of Christ. I'm not just supposed to keep that to myself. I'm supposed to show it to other people. I know that for some of you, when you hear that, what happens is this inner monologue starts to play where you start to disqualify yourself from being able to be used for the kingdom of God. And I know that must be true for some of you because it was true for me for years. Despite being raised in a Christian home, despite being brought up in this incredible house of faith right here, there was still this insecurity of me of what could I possibly do for God? Why would God even want to use me? What good could I possibly do for the things of God? I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm too insignificant. And if it's true for me, I know it's probably true for you, that sometimes this monologue starts to play, of, well, you don't know what I'm like. There's a church face that I put on. But then there's what I was like just before I stepped into church this morning. And you've got some husbands and wives just digging some ribs in left, right, and center here. And, and you don't know how, I, how I've messed up. And you don't know the, the, the stuff that actually goes on in my mind. And maybe I don't. But there is a God that knows all and see all and still wants you to play a part in his kingdom plan. And 15 years ago, this month, September 1st, 2008, uh, me and Gail became the pastors of what was then Richmond Pentecostal Church right here. And on September 1st or September 7th, I think was the first Sunday, uh, I stepped into the auditorium full of faith and yet still filled with that insecurity of, could God really use me? Now I've got a title of pastor, but I don't feel like pastor. And, and what, God, what could God possibly do in a small town like Richmond? What difference could we really make for the kingdom of God in this small town that everybody confuses with a bigger town somewhere south in London? What could possibly God do from a place like here? And so easily we, we disqualify ourselves. We think that we're not cut out for the job, that we're not fit for purpose, that if God's going to use somebody, he's not going to use me. He's going to find somebody better qualified. And as I was kind of praying uh, a few weeks ago, we were gathered with all of the staff and we were praying for you. We were praying for this month, what God was going to do. And as we were spending some time in the foyer, just praying, felt God drop this image into my mind. It's a really random image, but some of you will know it very, very well. It's the game of guess who, who remembers guess who. Now uh, there's, there's guess who's been around for years and years. And I'm sure I haven't researched this. I'm sure there's some modern version where there's like QR codes and there's apps and everything else. But if your guess who doesn't look like this kid, I'm not interested. He's the guy, this, this kid who looks like his life has been transformed by a game of, of guess who. And, and if you're familiar with the game of guess who, you'll know that you're looking for one person. There's one person that you're trying to find and the whole process that you have to go through is disqualifying other people that you're not interested in finding until you find the one. And so all of your inner prejudices start to come out. So you're like, get rid of the people with the glasses first. Down there you go. Get rid of the people with a beard. Get rid of those. And, uh, or you pick on certain things to do with their height or their shape or their color or whatever else. And you're like, dismiss all of these people, all of these inner prejudices that we're fighting to get rid of suddenly come out in the game of guess who, till you've disqualified everybody else to find the one that you are 
looking for. And as I was praying about this, I thought that actually for some of you, maybe that's how you see yourself. That you know that God is looking for people. You know that God is looking for people who will stand in the gap like we read in the Old Testament. We know that, like Jesus said, he's looking for people who will be his light in our world. And instantly you think of yourself as one of the ones that God's knocked down of, no, I can't do it because I'm too full of shame. I can't do it because I'm too old, but I can't do it because I'm too young. I can't do it because I haven't got enough qualifications or I'm not available because I'm too big to serve because I've got too many qualifications. And for whatever reason, we think of ourselves as disqualified. But as I started to pray years ago and, and started to get this idea that God had a plan and purpose for me, I started to realize that God is less interested in my achievements and more interested in my availability. That God is not looking for our perfection. God is not looking for our qualifications. He's looking for our willingness. He's looking for an open heart. He's looking for an available person who said, okay, I might not be perfect. I might not have everything together. I might not have lived a perfect life, but I'm ready, I'm ready and I'm willing to be your light God in my world. And so years ago, as God started to stir something in me of that, okay, I have a part to play in this. Suddenly then I started to read scriptures with a different perspective. Because who knows, the word of God is alive and active. It speaks to us in different times, in different ways, in different seasons. And sometimes that's God bringing an emphasis on sometimes on things. And sometimes it's us having a better perspective. And when we've got a better perspective, then we read the scriptures and go, oh, I never saw it like that before. Because before we've only seen ourselves as disqualified. But now we start to realize Okay, maybe I'm, I'm called. Maybe there's a part for me to play. So Matthew 17, where Jesus says, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. You're like, okay, I can do the mustard seed. I can do that part. There's a part for me to play. Or, where, or the, um, the apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I'm like, okay, so I don't have to be strong. I just have to receive the strength. I don't have to have it all together, but I just need to be available that Christ can use me. Or when the apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. You're like, oh, I can do this. If God's been looking for a fool... Then, then I've been working on that for a while, and I know some of you have, and somebody down over here, Sean Ramsden, looked really excited, where it's like, whoo, God is looking for a fool, Tom Staley over here, like, that's my verse, I'm receiving it by faith, just pumping both fists in, in the air. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. We try to dismiss ourselves too often. We try to discount ourselves too often. But to reach your world, not the whole world, but to reach your world, your family, your regiment, your classroom, your place of work, whatever it is, to reach your world, God is looking for somebody just like you. And yes, God has a, a bigger plan and a purpose for our, our whole world, but in order to reach your world, he's looking for somebody just like you. Somebody who maybe isn't qualified, who maybe doesn't have the right experience, who maybe doesn't have what you deem to be the right qualifications, but somebody who is open and willing to be used for the kingdom of God is perfectly positioned to make a difference. And just like many of you would, would not argue with me that nobody is disqualified from the love of God, that nobody is excluded from the love of God, you need to also hear that nobody is excluded from the plans of God. That there's nothing you have done or will do that excludes you from coming back to God and say, God, maybe I messed up, but would you forgive me and would you set me back on your path? I want to be your light 
in my world. I want to be the change in my world. Go with me in the Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read some great teaching from the Apostle Paul that I think really helps us with this. You'll know if you've studied the New Testament that the two letters that Paul writes to the church in, in Corinth are filled with such a wide variety of things. Sometimes it's inspiration, sometimes it's challenge, sometimes it's real rebuking of, you know you've been doing this, don't live that way. That's not the way that you should be living your faith. Other times there's instruction for us. And, and this passage here in 2 Corinthians 5 gives us both revelation and then kind of application of what we do with this. We're going to read from verse 17. It starts with a verse that many of you will know. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So it gives us this incredible understanding, this real revelation, this articulation of the difference that it makes when we are found in Christ. It says, okay, that once you were once you were separated from God, but the reconciliation of you coming and finding faith in, in God was only available through Jesus. That we were never perfect enough, we could have never achieved enough, we could have never done enough to make ourselves right with God. And so the reconciliation only came through Jesus. And now, because of Jesus, you are a new creation. Yes, there was a life before you were a Christian. Yes, there were certain things that defined you and there were certain mistakes and were certain things that you did, but that's who you were. But now you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So it gives us this whole new identity. You don't need to be defined by those things anymore. Like Isaiah said, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. There was those things. We're not pretending they weren't there. We're not putting on rose-tinted glasses of this person's always been a lovely Christian person. Some of you were awful people before you knew Jesus. But that's who we were. But now we are reconciled with God, not because we achieved it, but because Jesus achieved it for us on the cross. So it's like, okay, I get it now. I'm a new creation. Yes, that's who I am. And he says, now that you get it, you're called to do something with it. Now that you've been reconciled with God, it says that we've been given the, one verse says we've been given the message. Another, another version says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation that we've been entrusted with this incredible opportunity, that now our lives have been transformed by the goodness and the grace of God. He says, now you are God's ambassadors. Message translation says, you are God's representatives, as though God were making his appeal through us. So now we're tasked with being the hands and feet of Jesus. There was a time, like we read in the New Testament, where, where God was physically walking on earth through the form of Jesus. But after his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, he no longer physically walks the earth, but you and I do. Jesus is with you through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't physically walk back into your classroom or your workplace or your community, but you walk into that same room every day and you're called to be his light in your world. You walk into that, that atmosphere Every day, you walk back into that hospital, you walk back into that business boardroom, and you are called as you enter to be Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. And so there's this incredible identity that we're given and then instruction that we're given. And everybody has a part to play in that. No one is excluded from it. So if somehow you've reduced your theology to to that scene when you were at at school and they were picking football teams and they lined everybody else and you're like, well, I'll take Tim on my team and I'll take Suz on my team and I'll take Rich on my team and I'll take Louise on my team and then I'll take Gail, but I didn't really take Gail because she was just the last person that was left on on, on the thing that I didn't, didn't, this is not how I chose my marriage. but you've, you've been in those moments, right? She's out. That's it. I could have lined that so much better and picked on Rich or Adam, but um, that was a real mistake. Just didn't want to pick on Tim. I thought his insecurity couldn't take it, and I thought, well, I'll, pick it. I'll pick him. For... But, but maybe you feel like that, that God didn't pick me. God was stuck with me. That God looked around everywhere else, and, and, and maybe, I've never articulated that way, but maybe that's how we felt when, when we knew that God was calling us to take on to, the, on, to lead the church 15 years ago. When I, when we, maybe we're just the last option. <laughs> maybe the others were discounted, like, no, they're out there, out there. Oh, that random couple in their mid-20s, they'll, they'll, they'll do. And if somehow your theology has got messed up enough to say, I know God wants to use me, but only because I'm last place, then I want to encourage you to go back and look at these verses in 2 Corinthians. Open up your mind to what the Word of God says. Receive. Can you, can you perceive what God wants to say to you? That in verse 17, he says, you are a new creation in Christ. That you, you are a new creation in Christ. Verse 18, that you have been reconciled with God. If you're still wrapped up and you don't know the mistakes I made, you don't know how sinful I was, you don't know how many times I did those things, you have been reconciled with God through Christ. So you're a new creation, you've been reconciled. Verse 20 says you are Christ's ambassadors. And if if you jumped into the first verse of chapter 6, it says that you are now God's co-worker. So suddenly going from the place of disqualification of God's been lumped with me, the Bible tells us that you are God's co-worker. Another verse in scripture says that we are co-heirs with Christ. So because of what we've received through Christ, because that we have been reconciled with God because of what Jesus accomplished for us, at the cross, because of the way that was made for us, the Bible says that we've now been given a message to carry. That we've been given the message and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Not just somebody with a platform and with a microphone, but you. You've been entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation. You've been given a message to carry. You've been given a light to carry. And so we need to stop thinking that we're disqualified and we need to start making a difference. We need to stop living in that place of I'm not good enough and and, and woe is me and I could never. We need to stop disqualifying ourselves and start realizing I'm called to be the change. I'm called to make a difference in my world. Now, both the Bible and the history books are filled with people who didn't think they could. Right throughout Scripture, you see this, and right throughout the the history books that have been written about our nation and the nations of the world, it's filled with people who didn't think they could, and yet they somehow brought about change for the kingdom of God. You think about people in Scripture, I don't know, um, you think about Joshua, 
And I love Joshua, and Joshua was an incredible leader. But if, if God had to say to him, however many times it was through the latter chapters of Deuteronomy and the first chapters of Joshua, if he had to say, be strong and courageous. No, be strong and courageous. One verse says, be strong and very courageous. If God had to emphasize that multiple times to Joshua, maybe that's because he realized there was something that wasn't strong and courageous in him. You think about the little boy in the pack lunch at the Feeding of 5,000 who said, this, this can't do anything, and yet somehow thought he couldn't do something, but God used him to do something miraculous. You think about Gideon, who when the angel of God comes to him, he's trying to do something. He can't do everything because of the, the battle that's going on, but he's trying to do something. So he's found in, in um, threshing wheat in the wine press, and the angel of the Lord comes in and says, you're a mighty warrior. He says, no, no not me, mate. You've obviously got me confused somewhere. I'm the weakest of my tribe, and my tribe is the weakest of all of the tribes. Somebody who didn't think they could, and yet with God, they did bring about a change for the kingdom of God. The Bible and the history books are filled with them. And over the last couple of months, I've, I've spent loads of time reading, preparing for this series, preparing for this month. I've been reading about many of the heroes of faith, men and women who, who came often from ordinary beginnings and did something extraordinary for the kingdom of God. I'm going to highlight three. Some of you will have heard of some of these. Some of them are brand new to you. But maybe you've heard of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was born in 1832 in Barnsley, South Yorkshire. And born in the 1830s in Barnsley, Hudson Taylor kind of had his life mapped out for him because there was a family business and his dad was a pharmacist and his father, his father had been a pharmacist and he was due to be a pharmacist. And so everything was kind of mapped out for him. He would get a little bit of education, but then quickly he would take on the family business and the rest of his life was kind of mapped out for him. But come his teenage years, Hudson Taylor started to rebel and rebelled against the family business and rebelled against God. Although he'd been brought up in a Christian home, he started to say, this isn't for me, and had gone away from the things of God, and yet on a street somewhere in Barnsley, somebody, somebody handed him what, what, what we would call a flyer, a tract, a, a piece of paper with information that told him that was, not only there was a God who loved him, but there was a God who had a purpose for his life. He had this radical encounter with God, came back into the church, and, and, but didn't come back into the family business because through this uh, encounter that he had with God, God started to place a vision on his heart that he could be somebody who did something for God's kingdom. Not just do somebody who helped the community through the local pharmacy, but he could do something for God. And God gave him this wild vision to be a missionary to China. And he's like, but I'm just a nobody from Barnsley, what could I possibly do? But age 17, God gave him this vision. By the time I think he was about 22, 23 years old, he got on the boat. He traveled the five months that it took to get to China. China's still as far away today as it was from Barnsley in the 1830s. But five months in a boat is a long way to go. Asha flies to Cambodia next week, takes one trip over to Guangzhou in China. It's probably going to take about seven or eight hours. But five months this guy spent on a boat. That was a trip he did over five or six times in his, in his lifetime. Over 73 years, he took the gospel to unreached people groups in China, not just at the port cities, but into places inland where the gospel had never been heard before. Not only that, he raised over 800 full-time missionaries, uh, started 200 mission schools, education schools, medical centers. Not bad from a, from a lad from Yorkshire. And you've probably never heard of Harriet Tubman, but I read about her this week or, or last month. Harriet Tubman was born into slavery in the south of America in, in Maryland. 
Her date of birth was properly never recorded because she was born into slavery and nobody was interested in recording the details of the slaves' lives that were born. But she was born into slavery and, and, and had no education, started work at five years old as a housemaid to the family that, that owned her family. And through her teenage years of, of living in slavery, they were allowed to go to a local church. And, and forever in the church, she heard about a God who loved her, who had a plan for her. That she wasn't excluded, she wasn't disqualified, but God had a place for her in his kingdom plan. Around 25 years old, she saw an opportunity to be able to escape slavery, literally escaped from the south, got into the north of America, found her freedom, and in finding freedom in her mid-twenties, suddenly also found a call from God to help bring freedom to others. So instead of just living her life of, this is what I've escaped, she started to go back. She went back a number of times over, the, over 15 years and rescued approximately a thousand other people out of slavery, became known as the Moses of the South, committed her life, not just to celebrating what she could get out of God, but doing something for the kingdom of God. Her faith inspired incredible action. And if you've never heard of both of these, you've probably heard of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who became the world, a worldwide evangelist, it's estimated that face-to-face, because he did many other video broadcasts and radio and television things, but face-to-face, that in his lifetime, Billy Graham communicated the gospel to 215 million people live. It said through the, through the, um, the live streams and the radios and the TV, it was billions. They said, I was reading a report last week that said, nobody on earth ever has communicated the gospel to more people than Billy Graham. He was known as, as not only that, but he was known as America's pastor. He personally pastored multiple U.S. presidents, became one of the most influential Christian leaders in all of the 20th century, and though, and though he died a couple of years ago, probably of the next century as well. And yet, Billy Graham was born on the bedroom floor of his parents' farmhouse in Charlotte, North Carolina. He was raised as a dairy farmer before he received the call of God to do something for the, for the kingdom of God. Never claimed in all of the incredible things that God did through his life, never claimed to be the greatest academically or organizationally. And, and sometimes, and although he's reaching billions of people, somebody was asking him a question that he wouldn't know the answer to. Billy Graham said, I, I don't know. I'm just a poor farm boy from North Carolina. And you're like, yeah, all right. But you preach the gospel in person to 215 million people. So many of the stories, of, of these stories and many more, and, I'd, and I've given Johnny multiple slides, and as I've continued to read some of the books I've been reading, I was like, I should do this story, I should do this story. I could fill, fill the rest of this month with stories of people who often came from difficult or sometimes insignificant backgrounds that normally people would have never heard of these people. They would have never known of the difference that they made, but for getting hold of a call from God, realized, okay, my life has been changed, but, but maybe I can be the change for somebody else. Maybe I can't do everything, but I've got to do something. And they chose not to allow their circumstances to limit or determine the calling upon their life because they embraced who God had called them to be, that they are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And when we turn to Hebrews, which we will in the moment, you can turn to Hebrews 12. When we read in Hebrews 12, we read about a passage in the chapter before that is full of inspiration like this. 
Some of you will know Hebrews 11 that is known as kind of the hall of fame or the heroes of faith. Great men and women of the Old Testament who did incredible things for God. We read about Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab and Jacob and, and all sorts of other people. And so we, we read in chapter 11 stories like that I've given you modern versions of just a few moments ago. Men and women who did incredible things for God that easily we could also become so intimidated by that again we disqualify ourselves. I say, God can do some great things from a lad from Yorkshire, but I'm from Darlow. <laughs> what could God do through me? I'm, I'm just this kind of person. You don't know what my life has been like. No offense to Darlow, Sean. <laughs> but then in Hebrews 12, after we've read a whole chapter that inspires us, but if we're honest, intimidates us of, wow, those people really did something for God. They, they really rose up. Then, then we read Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since we're surrounded by all these incredible stories of faith, therefore, since we're so intimidated by these incredible men and women who, who gave up their lives to do things for the glory of God, therefore, since we've read all of these incredible stories, let us... Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So scripture says, just leave it up there for a second. The scripture says, okay, since you've heard these stories, since you've read these scriptures, since you've heard about these things in the history book of men and women who've done incredible things, since you've You've read the story. Since you've been inspired, the writer of Hebrews says, now it's your turn. Now it's our turn. We're going to read this scripture again. I'm, I'm going to read it out. But just jump in with me when you see the word us. Because suddenly it goes from this inspiration to an invitation for us. So it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith so the writer of Hebrews says don't you dare allow these stories to disqualify you don't you dare allow somebody else's incredible inspiration to, to make you think that you're excluded because there's a part for you to play. There's a part for us to play. And so instead of just being inspired, there's an invitation, an invitation for us to join the race of reaching our world, an invitation for us to make a difference, an invitation for us to be the change in our world. Not waiting for somebody else to take responsibility. Not waiting for some evangelist to randomly rock up at your board meeting this week and think, well, who invited him to come? Not waiting for a worship team to show up in your classroom at school or college and say, well, nobody invited you, but I'm glad you're here. Bring on the presence of God. But receiving the invitation that is given for us here in Scripture to say, okay, some mighty men and women have gone before me. I've been inspired, I've been empowered, I've been equipped by other people's stories, but let us, let me 
run with perseverance the race marked out for me. Because falling into comparison trap doesn't help any of you when you look at somebody else and say, well, look at their race, look what they're doing, or look what they're not doing. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than Pete, better than Paperboy Pete. Can't you see I'm doing it? That comparison's not going to help you either because Pete's not called to race to run your race, but you are. Emily's not called the, to reach the people in your army regiment. That would be weird and quite hard. But you are. So run the race that God has entrusted to you. And maybe what we need to do is to follow the advice that we read here from the writer of Hebrews that says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What is it today that could be hindering you being a light in your world? Is it insecurity? Is it shame? Is it the comparison of, oh, I couldn't do it like that person does it. I'm I'm not as good as them. What is it that hinders you? What is it that could be entangling you? Maybe there's some stuff in your past. Maybe it's mistakes that you made of, you don't know how much I I messed up. Well, if you can come to the feet of Jesus, accept him as Lord and Savior, ask for freedom and forgiveness from those things. The Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. So that sin that once entangled no longer has to hold you back. That hurt or pain of, that maybe somebody else did to you. And maybe that's not going to break in a moment. But there is a moment of acceptance of that's not who I am anymore. There's a moment to believe, okay, that was something that happened. But that's not who I am. I am a new creation in Christ. And that starts to bring this freedom and this healing What is it that's been holding you back from from making a difference? What is it that's stopped you, perhaps, from perceiving the new thing that God wants to do? Maybe for some of you, when we talked about that, that you can't step into the new thing that God wants to do in your life because you're still stuck. Stuck by a great testimony of something that did happen or stuck by, it's not the way it used to be. I liked it back in... I liked it back in the 90s. was good back then. When, when God did something in the 70s, I like, I like that. Well, praise God for what he did. But if he gets too rooted in what happened, you can't step into the new thing that God wants to do. So why don't we stand this morning? And right across the room, let's just close our eyes and let's allow the Holy Spirit to just impress on our hearts and our minds what he wants to say to us this morning. My prayer as I stepped up today to preach to you is that my words would decrease but that his word to you would increase. I love what Grace shared with us in her testimony. His word works. It works. It has power. It's alive and it's active. So what is it today that maybe you need to let go of? Because I didn't plan it this way, but as I finished preaching the message last week in Cumbria, I thought, okay, there's three things there in those three verses. Isaiah 43, forget the former things. 2 Corinthians 5, the old is gone. And the new has come. And Hebrews 12, throw off everything that hinders. So often we see in Scripture that there's, there's this process of letting go and moving forward. That God doesn't want us to be rooted in the past, stuck in a, in a place of guilt or shame or hurt or whatever it might be. But also, equally, He doesn't want your life to stay stuck and still because He's got so much more for you. He's the God who was and is and is to come. So what is it that you need to let go of 
this morning. For some of you, I just felt like that God was just going to impress some things on your mind, that as we spend a few moments in worship, you're going to be able to articulate, actually put into words, God, bring me freedom from what that person said. Bring me freedom from that mistake that I made. Bring me freedom from that thing that has held me back. Give me freedom from that insecurity of of thinking that I'm not good enough. Give me freedom from that disqualification that either I spoke over myself or somebody else spoke over me. And the way that we do that is also found in this scripture where it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's through Jesus that we have that identity. It's through Jesus that we have that reconciliation. And it's through Jesus that we find that that we have a message to carry, that we have a light to take to our world. So let's just take a moment. Let's close our eyes and let's do business with God this morning. If you know that you need to seek God afresh, ask for freedom from some things in in the past or, or say, God, I'm ready to go again. I'm ready to be the change. Let's take a moment and do that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.